Well, welcome to the hills, especially all of you that watch us online. Thank you for doing that. It's raining here in Tarrant County, so I'm especially thankful for all of you here at our 1130 service at the North Richland Hills campus. I want to thank you for participating in our first ever 3,000 offering. We're going to do this several times a year where we just ask you to give a dollar bill for everyone in the room, and we're going to take the money, and you'll hear next week about the family that gets blessed by your generosity. I also want to thank you for the feedback to the current series that we are getting. Uh, It's been pretty phenomenal, and it tells me that this is a very timely subject. How do you live upstream in a downstream world? As we live in a world that increasingly uh, doesn't value the principles of people who follow God, how can we hold on to our deepest convictions without holding in contempt the people who don't share our values? And so I'm encouraging you every week to process what I'm teaching and take it to the next level by with your family or your community group going over the questions I prepared. If you'll just go to the sermon page on our website, there's a little arrow, just click on that and download the questions. And I hope you'll continue to have this conversation because it's such an important question. How can we find a better way to live in Babylon? Now, finding a better way to solve a problem is called life hack. The term entered our vernacular in the mid-2000s, but we've been doing it forever. Finding creative and resourceful ways to solve everyday problems. And every week I've shown you some new life hacks, and I thought since we're talking about surviving in this series, we might do some survival life hacks today. Because summer's coming, right? You know it's going to get hot. So what happens if your sprinkler system breaks? How do you keep your lawn alive? Here's what you do. You just get your favorite two liter of soda, drink it up, put your hose inside, punch a few holes. You have a do-it-yourself lawn system and your yard survives life hack. Or you know you're going to get in the minivan and make that trip this summer to see family or to go on a vacation. And you're not going to get out of Tarrant County before your kids start saying, are we there yet? And you're wondering if you're going to maintain sanity. But you don't have a fancy van with its own DVD system. Here's what you do. Just take your smartphone, stick it in the baggie, hang it up, turn it on. You've got a mobile entertainment system right there, and your sanity is saved. Life hack. Or you go camping, and you get lost and need fire. Well, in the first place, what are you thinking on that kind of a trip, okay? My idea of roughing it is a hotel doesn't have cable. But if you're one of those people that like to get way out into the woods and you get lost and you need fire, well, some people say rub two sticks together. Yeah, like that only works in the movies, let me tell you, okay? Or you could do the old uh, flint and steel thing. Good luck with that. This is 2016. Let me help you. Be sure when you pack your backpack to put in a battery and a stick of gum, okay? Now, you eat the gum, but you save the wrapper, You take it and you cut it into a sliver like that. And then you take it and you put the foiled side on either end of the battery. And boom, you've got fire and your life is saved. Life hack. Now, kids, do not try this at home. I am told that that battery gets hot. That's why I made Taylor Walling hold it while we filmed the video. Because let's not forget, he is the associate teaching minister. (laughs) But the reality is, fire can be a wonderful thing. Or it can be a horrible thing. 
And you really need to learn how to handle fire, especially when you live in Babylon. So, we're in chapter 3 this weekend, but I've got to remind you of what happened at the end of chapter 2. You remember that Neb, king of Babylon, had a dream. And in this dream, there was a statue made up of different kinds of metals. And Daniel gave him the interpretation. He said, Neb, you're the head of gold, and after you is going to come another empire, and then another, and then a fourth empire. And during the existence of the fourth empire, God is going to birth a kingdom that will last forever. And Neb was so impressed with Daniel's wisdom, he put him in charge of the country. And Daniel put his three Hebrew friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, over the city or the province of Babylon. Now, this is important for two reasons. Number one is because Daniel does not appear in chapter 3. And I can only assume he was out of the city and somewhere else in the country on business for the government. Because if he had been there, he would have stood right with his three friends. The other reason it's important to remember how the story ends is because Neb ends chapter 2 falling down before Daniel. But we're going to see he is not ready to fall down before Daniel's God. Because Neb starts thinking, my kingdom's going to end? I'm going to spend my whole life building an empire that's not going to last? I don't like that. And so notice how the very first verse of the next chapter starts. King Neb made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now remember how the chapter before ended? Your kingdom will not last. Neb says, yes, it will. When he built that statue, he was saying, I want the whole statue, not just the head to be gold, because I want my kingdom to endure. I don't want what Daniel's God says is the future of my kingdom. I'm going to create my own future. I intend to build an empire that will endure and it will last forever. So he commissioned a statue to represent his will for Babylon. And he didn't want there to be another will in Babylon. So he hired a top-notch praise band. He got everybody out there in front of the statue and said, when the music starts so that you are all on the same page with me and my vision for Babylon, I want everybody to bow down to the gold statue. Well, what if that wasn't your vision? Well... Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And so we have a tension. A tension that has existed since the beginning of the Bible. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. Will the creature worship the creator or the created? Will the image that God has made bow down to an image that God has not made. And Babylon says, yes, you will. And you got to know something about Babylon. And by the way, in the Bible, Babylon stands for any world empire that doesn't honor God. And Babylon has firepower. In other words, Babylon has resources to pressure you to get on the same page with Babylon. And to change teams. You see, faith is always under fire in Babylon. 
always. Fiery trials are not the exception. They are the rule when you live in a culture where the majority of people don't honor God as he's asked to be honored. Paul told Timothy, if you sell out to Jesus and you follow him, you're going to get pushback. I don't care what culture it is, you're going to experience fire. But the fire can actually serve God's purpose. That's right. God can have a purpose for the furnace. So there's the guy in the New Testament named Peter. He was one of the Jesus apostles. And he wrote two letters. And in those letters, he used a lot of language like Daniel, that you're exiles, that you're aliens, you are pilgrims in this world. And in fact, at the very end of the first letter, he says, I'm writing from Babylon. That was code. That means I'm, I'm in Rome. I'm in another godless empire. And here's what he told the Christians. You must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Peter says, God's going to test your faith in Abba. He It's being tested so it can be trusted. You see, they would have understood the metaphor. Back in that day, when you mined gold or silver, you would get a lot of other impurities and elements in the ore. So what you would do is you'd build a big fire under a kettle and you would put the ore in the kettle and turn up the heat and the ore would melt and all the impurity would come to the top. They would call it slag and they'd clean it off and you would know that the, the gold or the silver was pure when you could look in it and you could see your reflection. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, fire tests the purity of silver and gold. But the Lord tests the heart. And so God allows us in Babylon to be under fire. But we're not under fire because God wants to break us. We're under fire because God wants to display in us the work he's doing in our lives. And so Daniel's young friends are going to put their faith on display. Because they are willing to stand in the line of fire. And so it says... At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. And by the way, anti-Semitism is not a new thing. And they said, there are some Jews whom you've set up over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, it's very important to understand that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not acting like obnoxious jerks in Babylon. They weren't calling attention to themselves. They weren't waving flags saying, hey, look at us. We don't bow down. They weren't publicly renouncing the king. They weren't trying to start a protest movement. They were simply quietly living out their faith. In a culture where most didn't accept their faith. Now I'm telling you that because throughout this series I've been saying as we live in Babylon, we don't have to be annoying. 
We don't have to be obnoxious. We don't have to get on Facebook and rant all the time. But I don't care how meek and respectful you are. There is going to come a time when Babylon is going to push back. When your refusal to bow down is going to stand in judgment on their values. And Babylon is going to say, change jerseys. Or we will vote you off the island. And so, it says, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music... If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Question. Why did Neb give them a second chance? That's not like him. He typically overreacts. You know why? Because they were good at what they did. Babylon flourished under their leadership and Neb knew it. Even though they had their own values, even though they lived by their own convictions, they were a blessing to Babylon and Neb didn't want to lose them. They were just like Daniel. They served God in Babylon and they served Babylon for God. But on this one issue, Neb couldn't compromise. I need everybody in the country on the same page that my will for Babylon will endure. And so, guys, I've put up with it long enough, okay? It's real cute. You still worship your little God and your little religious customs. That's that's sweet. But it's time to change teams. And when he said, if you don't, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And what God will be able to save you from my hand? What he's saying is, guys, let's get real. You're God lost. If your God was so great, you wouldn't be exiles and captives, would you? It's time to recognize you're on the wrong team. Change your jersey, bow down, and worship my God's. What do you do? What do you do when the pressure of the culture is so strong and it feels like your team is losing? Well, you have two options. Option number one, bow along to get along. The way some Christians deal with fire is they water down their convictions. They're very good at baptizing and rationalizing fear and compromise. And they call it being prudent. These three young Hebrew boys, they could have said to themselves, you know, what if we bow on the outside, but we don't bow on the inside? They could have said, okay, we will bow One time, and then we'll run to church and ask for forgiveness. Because after all, God's gracious, right? 
They could have thought, you know, we're the only ones that speak for God. If, if we die, what happens to real religion? It's actually prudent for us to save our lives. They could have said, hey, this is politics. Come on. Politics and religion don't really mix. Let's just do what's politically prudent, and then we'll still go to church on the side. You see, the way some people survive Babylon is they keep more than one jersey in the closet. Maybe that's what some of you do. It's Sunday, and you got on your church jersey. But tomorrow, you're going to work, you're going to school, and your church jersey might not fit in, so you put on another jersey. Because here's the thing. The lukewarm rarely ever come under fire. That's one option. Just bow along to get along. But that's not the option they chose. Those three boys, they chose to stand for God and withstand the heat. They decided to fight fire with faith. They didn't have plan B. They just had plan A. We're going to honor God. For them to dishonor God so they could avoid a furnace was more foolish than honoring God and facing the heat. And so Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego replied to him, King Neb, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They knew their God had power. They also knew their God had purposes. And they didn't always know God's purposes. They didn't know what was going to happen if they were thrown into that fire. They knew that the love of God doesn't always separate a believer from fire. But they also knew that fire can never separate a believer from the love of God. And so they weren't sure what God was going to do. But they were sure what they were going to do. They were going to honor God. And they knew that ultimately that was fireproof. I'm going to show you a picture of one of the greatest ladies of the last century. Her name was Rosa Parks. She's 42 years old. It's 1955. She's had a hard day at work. She gets on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. Before long, a white man wants her seat, and she refuses to give it to him. That was the law, and she was arrested for defiance. She said later in her book, Quiet Strength, it wasn't that she was tired. She was tired, but that's not why she didn't get up. She was tired of giving in. And she wrote, I wasn't trying to make history that day. But I was ready to make a statement. She said, I knew the Lord would give me the strength to face whatever 
happened. It was time for me to stand, or actually in my case, to sit down. Those young boys looked at the most powerful man in the world and said, Our God will give us the strength to face whatever happens. But we will not bow down. You know, you're never more free than when you reach that point. There's something that's liberating about reaching that place where you are going to live by your conviction no matter what it costs. And so even though they're bound, they're free. They were bound. They were tied up. Neb was so angry, he made that fire seven times hotter than normal. It was so hot that the men that carried them to the fire died of exposure to the heat as they threw them in. But look what happened. King Neb leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Isn't that cool? They were set free in the fire. The fire didn't singe their hair. The fire didn't even put smoke on their clothes. The only thing the fire burned up was their bonds. And then it says, Neb said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. I told you he liked to overreact. (laughs) And their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Now watch. For no other God can save in this way. You see, the furnace doesn't get the last word. The God of heaven does. We live in Babylon. Don't be shocked that Babylon brings pressure. Babylon will always have fire power. But we can learn how to grow a faith that's fireproof. I want to give you three heat hacks, okay, to survive Babylon. Here's number one. Just remember to meet God in the furnace. Because they wouldn't worship a false god out of the fire, they got to worship the true God in the fire. You see, faith doesn't guarantee the absence of fire. It promises presence in the flames. Neb says, I see four men, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, I'll tell you something. If you follow Jesus, you sell out for Jesus, and you live for Jesus in Babylon, you're going to meet Jesus in the fire before you ever meet him in the sky. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament is the book of Isaiah. When, not if, 
when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they'll not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The Bible doesn't say if, it says when. And the Bible doesn't say around, it says through. Not when you go around the water. Not when you go around the fire. When you go through it, I will be with you. Do we really want greater intimacy with God? We sang, let me become more aware of your presence. Let me experience the glory of your goodness. Do we want that? We may have to go to the fire to get it. I've thought how often I pray contradictory prayers. I pray, Lord, I want to know you more than I've ever known you. I want to have more faith than I've ever had. God, I want more intimacy with you. Oh, and also take away all of my problems. What do you want? Do you want a fire-free life? Or do you want greater intimacy with God? So one of my mentors is a man named Lynn Anderson. And some years ago, he went to Europe for a big evangelism explosion conference with Billy Graham. And many famous Christian speakers were there. But Lynn came back and told me the person that inspired him the most was someone he and I had never heard of, a man from China named Chen Min Lin. Chen became to Christ when he was 19. And he started a couple of little house churches in his village. And then he got arrested. And they put him in prison and they gave him an indignity I can't fathom. His job every day was to keep the pipes clear in the cesspool. And so he would get up every day and be forced to walk in human sewage. And after he was through vomiting and throwing up, he would clear the drainage pipes. But he went on to tell that crowd that place of disgust became my garden. He said the smell was so bad the guards would stay so far away from me it was the only place in camp where I could sing and worship God and they wouldn't beat me. And so he did. It became his time to be with God. He told this big crowd do you know what my favorite song to sing was? And they all said yes tell us. And he started to sing. I come to the garden alone. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. Faith doesn't mean you'll be saved from the furnace. It means you'll never have to enter it alone. You meet God in the furnace. And that means you must trust God with the flames. Daniel's friends testified, our life is not in your hand, Neb. Our life is in God's hands. And our deliverance is sure. We're just not sure what it will look like. 
I think one of the greatest verses in the Bible was when they looked at that man and said, even if he doesn't, we won't bow. They were saying, listen, obedience is our responsibility. Outcome is God's. We'll do what is right. God will decide what happens next. Uh, Some of you have heard, if you've studied World War II, of the incredible story of Dunkirk. This was before the United States had entered the war. Nazi Germany was sweeping across France. 300,000 British soldiers were trapped against the channel, about to be annihilated, when the most amazing thing happened, a flotilla of little bitty boats from all kinds of regular people in England came across the channel to rescue their soldiers and very likely save the war effort. But in the midst of that event, before anyone knew that anybody was coming, a British officer sent out this message, just three words, but if not... He was quoting from the King James Version of Daniel 3. He was sending the message, we hope deliverance comes, but if not, we will not bow. We will not surrender. We will not capitulate. We will not give up. We will not let the enemy take over. God's absolutely free to do whatever God thinks is best. And so when those boys went into the fire, what if they had burned? Don't tell me that's because they didn't have enough faith. They would have said it was evidence of their faith. That they were going to trust God with the flames. Sometimes God delivers from the fire. Sometimes God delivers in the fire. And sometimes God delivers unto himself. And fireproof faith is when you stop just focusing on God's power and you start trusting in God's character. And your faith isn't just all about what God might do. And it's become more and more about who God is. And you trust his goodness and his purpose. And when you get to that place, you're not just willing to be a living sacrifice, but you become a living sermon. And that's when you can let God turn heat into light. Think about it. How many of our heroes in the Bible lived furnace-free lives? Even more, who have been your greatest spiritual mentors? Who are the people that have shaped your faith more than anybody else? Did they live a furnace-free life? See, God uses fire. In the lives of people that are close to him. To help unthaw the hearts of people that are far from him. So do you remember that Chinese pastor I told you about? 
He now goes by the name of George Chen. After 20 years, he was let out of prison. And he went back to his little village, just assuming that those little house churches he started would be gone. And instead, he found 5,000 Christians waiting to honor him. Do you know why? Because when they heard about Chen Li Min, they considered, if Jesus is worth dying for, he must be worth living for. Maybe God is sending you into the fire to help bring your neb into the kingdom. And so, maybe a better way to live in Babylon is to stop whining about the heat and to start shining the light. We live in Babylon. The majority of our culture don't hold our values. They don't honor our God. We are right where we need to be. Shine the light. And let me remind you, as bad as it may seem here, we are still some of the most blessed people in the world. We don't know anything about real persecution yet. We have brothers and sisters around the world that literally are facing the furnace. Christianity Today says last year almost 5,000 people died for their faith in Jesus. Right now in North Korea, 70,000 Christians are in labor camps because they won't bow. I thought it might be a good thing to take just a moment and in solidarity, in solidarity with brothers and sisters around the world, could we pray for the persecuted church? Would you bow your heads, please? Would you just take a moment and would you ask God to give increased faith and courage and endurance to our brothers and sisters that live in countries where you literally have to ask, is Jesus worth dying for? Let's pray for them right now. And then one more thing. A lot of you are going through fire right now. It may not be persecution, but right now your faith is being tested. So what if you took a moment and asked God to turn heat into light? Maybe your test is going to be God's way to bring somebody else closer to Jesus. So ask right now for God to turn heat into light. Oh, Father, there is no one like you. There's no other God. 
No other God we should bow to. No other God that can save the way you save. So give us increased passion and strength and courage and even joy in standing for your name, for being your people. Test us, God, so that more can see the light. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let me ask you all to stand up. If you're on our prayer team, would you take your place? I just have to take one second and talk about one more thing. I love how Neb said, no other God can save in this way. That's gospel. There's no other God like our God. What other God has become flesh, born of a virgin? What other God has lived a sinless life? What other God has gone to a cross for the sins of others? What other God has been into a grave and actually come out of that grave and conquered death and ascended and is coming back for his church? What other God has done this? No other God can save the way our God can save. I call you to this God, the only God you should bow to. Come now for prayer, for encouragement. Come and be baptized and surrender to the only God that can save.